Galatians chapter 2. We'll begin reading at verse 17, read through verse 20. Galatians 2, beginning in verse 17. God's word given to us for our good. Let's give our attention to its reading. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word endures forever. Amen. We've been taking some time over the past couple of weeks to think about God's creation of us and and what that does in terms of knowing certain truths and confronting certain false truths of our age, thinking about what God creating us as male and female has to say about morality and sexuality, and tonight we think about what it may have to say about identity, identity, and thinking especially about this, this deep theological truth, union with Christ and what that does and how we think about identity in a world where everyone is rushing to identify in their own kinds of ways and rushing to figure out what their identity is. So we think about what Scripture says about all of these things. By way of review, we began thinking about Genesis 1. We are created by God, and we are created by God as male and female. Male and female, two exclusive categories of God's design. And we saw that that means that there are moral and ethical constraints placed upon us as males and females created by God. Our bodies teach us something about what God would have us do and how he would have us live. To say that is sort of like uh, poison in the public square today, right? Uh, Not too many people fond of this kind of thinking, to suggest that there are moral and ethical constraints placed upon us because of our creation by God, because of our bodily existence as male and female, is to suggest something that flies in the face of the sovereign self and the modern mind in the 21st century. But this is why we need to be grounded in God's word and have our worldview that is based upon scripture and formed by scripture. Do we evaluate everything with a lens of being created by God? That that is who we are and that is our deepest reality of having moral constraints set upon us as male and female in the image of God. Do we ask those questions and evaluate everything through those truths? Pertinent for tonight, pertinent questions for tonight, how do I define my identity? How do I uh, know who I am? We're living in an age that's unprecedented in how it evaluates this question and how it responds to this question. Never before have we lived in an age where people feel that their bodies tell them nothing about who they ultimately are or about what constraints are placed upon them morally. 
whether through God's word or by natural law. For instance, and don't want to get too specific, right? Because some of this stuff can get rather ugly and gory quickly. But uh, there are people who think that they have the freedom to identify even as something unhuman, right? Some animal or even sometimes uh, fantasy type creatures, things that you would only read about in uh, fiction books. This, of course, on top of what we see in people changing routinely from one gender to another or saying that gender is completely a social construct and not relevant to our ultimate identity or self. Now, it's important to remember, and as we raise this, I don't say that the feelings of people who go through these kinds of situations don't matter. It's not to say that it is, it's not to, to say that it is not extremely difficult and confusing to deal with a lot of the thoughts, feelings, and emotions that accompany such a crisis. And surely the thoughts, feelings, and emotions of those people are things we need to keep in mind and bear in mind in how we deal with loving them and uh, calling them to the truth. But it is to say that if we are not anchored in the truth of God, God's word, any road which we attempt to go down in light of self-identity or in pursuit of self-identity, if that road is not the road in the way of Jesus Christ, it will fail us. It will not give the the fulfillment that it promises, and we need to remember that. One theologian says that we stand alone in the risen Christ. We stand alone in the risen Christ, and it is that exact idea, union with Christ, which Christians need to know and treasure and exercise in this day to fight against all of uh, these reigning uh, other paradigms in light of identity. In itself, union with Christ or life in Christ becomes a worldview, even even beyond simply just a Judeo-Christian worldview. Union with Christ, being united to him and having our identity staked and found and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ becomes the way that we review and we process and we answer all of the questions that can come up in our lives. The truth that we stand alone in the risen Christ. Union with Christ tells us about our sinfulness. It tells us about our need of him. It tells us about our need to distrust ourselves. It tells us about the life-transforming power that we experience in Christ to bring us out of sin and into the spirit-empowered obedience obedience to which he calls us. We turn then to Galatians 2.20, this wonderful verse that speaks of union with Christ. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. When Paul says, I have been, he clearly speaks of himself as one who has been given the gift of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was floored, almost literally, right, by the truth of Jesus Christ. As the risen and exalted Lord confronted him on the road to Damascus, and his life was never the same. But he looks back upon his life and he sees a a whole lot of unworthiness. A whole lot of sin. He would have felt a strong sense of sin. A strong sense of his need of redemption. He persecuted the church. He he killed people that he would see one day in glory. And think about how Paul would have to, to live and carry that with him all of his days. This probably fed into his energy and his passion and his zeal for the kingdom of God. If God can save him, God can save anyone. And this also compelled Paul 
to great humility. He called himself the least of the apostles, even though if we take a look at his work and his writings, he may have been the greatest of the apostles. But before we think of union with Christ, and we think about Paul here, we think of ourselves like Paul, or like Paul in Adam. In our natural state, we, like Paul, are found in our federal head, Adam. We all have all kinds of opportunity to think about who we are in our sinful nature as those who have inherited sin from our first father, Adam, and have lived out that inheritance in our own lives, right? We inherit sin, but then we act out that sinful nature with real and with actual sins. So to those who have faith in Christ and read this verse as a reflection of our own reality, and we say, I have been crucified with Christ, what comes to mind for us? Well, just like Paul, the I, which is ourselves in our natural state, we are sinners, a sin nature and inherited guilt. It is the I that is filled with fallen Desires, as we unpacked last week, we have many desires which are fallen. It is the eye that will at many times and in many ways desire that which God has forbidden. To desire that which God has forbidden, as we learned last week, is always sinful. Even if we did not ask for those desires and even if those desires are completely unwanted by us, there is no loophole in escaping guilt just because we did not ask for it. This is also the eye which looks exactly for those loopholes, that tries to point the finger rather than the thumb, that tries to excuse our own sin and make it a horizontal matter rather than a vertical one. We naturally think that we are fine the way that we are because our sinful nature blinds us, but we're reminded that God knows us better than we know ourselves. This is the eye, the self which wants to believe that if it feels good, it must be right. And how often do we see people using that exact reasoning? If it feels good, it must be right. Well, the Christ-centered worldview speaks of something differently. And we see the tendency of following those impulses. If it feels good, it must be right, leading down the paths into something completely destructive. Imagine... Uh, imagine this picture. A master gardener gives to a manager the oversight of a garden. Take care of my garden. And imagine that the manager decides that uh, I'm going to let this garden flourish completely naturally. Uh, Whatever way that this garden chooses to flourish, that is what I'm going to allow it to do. It needs to be able to do its natural thing. So the manager does not care for the garden, and he does not prune it. He does not take out the weeds. He does not pay careful attention to the patterns of growth. He does not pay careful attention to what the garden needs. He does not prune vines. He does not take out dead branches. So when the master gardener returns and he sees his garden that is completely in shambles, he's angry. But the the manager is saying, well, I was just letting this garden do what it was going to do. I was letting it flourish according to its Nature. In fact, I was celebrating the nature of the garden. But what we learn is that the manager does not know the nature of the garden. He does not know that if left to itself, this garden will destroy itself. Not only will it not flourish, it will grow weeds, 
and it will no longer be a garden. This is a picture of our nature, human nature after the fall. In Adam, we grow weeds. We grow dead patches. We need pruning and care. The worst possible thing that we can do is to allow ourselves to flourish according to our nature. We need to know that about ourselves and be convicted about that truth about ourselves if we're going to do something about it. Paul says, I, I have been crucified with Christ. What happens to Paul? Well, he is awakened by the gospel at a certain point in his life, and all who have faith in Christ are awakened by the gospel and are given union with Christ, this wonderful blessing. In the context of Galatians 2, when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, he's talking about uh, the, the, the self that had been convicted by the law, that had been condemned by the law. Paul's old self, Pharisee, zealous persecutor of the church, condemned by the law of God. He was seeking to be justified before God on the basis of his deeds. So we read in Galatians 2, Paul says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Notice how he keeps coming back to that and repeating that same truth over and over. He says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. So when Paul says he has been crucified with Christ, he is saying that there is something about Christ's death, Christ's crucifixion, which achieves something for him, which speaks for him. And this is deliverance from Paul's being represented by his own self, by his own self. He says, the old self has died, and that is no longer what speaks for me. That is no longer what represents me. The I, the self, is a pretty bleak picture. We all know, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not what can be propped up before God. But the beauty is that That self will not have the final word, and it is all because of the work of Jesus Christ. And this is what it means to be united to him, to be given life in him through the gospel. Another passage which speaks beautifully of union with Christ is Romans chapter 6. And there Paul says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And this is what it means to have a representative. To have a life and a death which speaks for you. Which covers you. 
If left to ourselves, we garner nothing but accusation. But to know the, the truth of union with Christ is to say to our accuser, you seem to not know when the enemy throws accusations at us and saying, look at you, look at, look at what you've done, look at all that you have done in your past and what you will continue to do now. To know union with Christ is to say, I have someone who speaks for me, who covers me. And you seem to not know the truth of Romans 6, verses 3 through 11. Because I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ by the power of his resurrection. And the risen Christ in whom I stand declares to you, Satan, our enemy, it declares to you that you no longer have any hold on me. See, that's what it means to know the reality of union with Christ. We stand alone in him. And if we stand alone in the risen Christ, and if that gives us our forgiveness and righteousness before God, what does that mean for our ongoing lives? Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's not some kind of magic trick. This is, for Paul, this is the central idea of all of the Christian life, which begins with being forgiven of sin and declared righteous before God by faith in Christ and continuing in life continuing life in Christ by his power. And so Paul goes on to say in Romans 6, the death he died to sin, once for all he died. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And he says this, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. If sin no longer reigns over us, and here's the key, Here's the key thought. If sin no longer reigns over us, then it no longer defines us. It no longer defines who we are. If we are united to Christ in his death and his resurrection, then we are united to him in his life. And this is why union with Christ is so important for us to grasp in terms of the Christian life and in terms of our identity. Who are we? Who is it that God would have us be? At the moment of regeneration, when dead, sinful hearts are are made alive by the gospel of Christ and by the work of the Spirit, we are spiritually united to the person of Christ in an unbreakable and an eternal way, given a union with Him that will never go away, that will never fizzle out. It's not a fusion, right? It's not a fusion. We don't cease to exist. We're not fused into him, but we are united to him. Given life in and through him. But here is where we start to tease out this reality for our life and for some of the issues in our current world. Colossians 3 says that whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because we are united to him and his name is upon us. Even deeper to the than that, we are united with him by the Spirit in our life in Christ. This is why Romans 6 says we are to consider ourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Sin will not reign over you. Sin no longer defines you. And what this means is that Christ has an exclusive claim upon us. Christ alone has the right to claim us and to make us his own. And to be regarded as Lord of our lives. 1 Corinthians says, For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in 
your body. And if Christ has an exclusive claim upon us, this is, these are, this is an issue of exclusivity, the gospel being a follower of Christ. If Christ has an exclusive claim upon us, what Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This means that any competing claim of allegiance or identity must be scrounged out and must be eliminated from our lives. So it's true that while sin has been conquered, sin is not a completely deceased foe. We know that that vestiges of that sinful nature, even after we've been made alive in Christ, all of that scarring of our sin nature is still there and it's still a part of us. And so we are called to, as those united to Christ and those with his name upon us, we are called to drive a fresh nail into our sin daily. We return to our garden analogy. We know that all of our desires, or we must know the tendencies of our desires, and we must live by the grace of God in repentance and daily reminders of who we are in Christ. To know our fallen desires, but to know who we are in Christ. And when we do that, when we live by the grace of God, God will help us to weed and to prune, to cut down and to uproot all of those things which must be eliminated from our lives. John Owen says famously, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And so this means, if we connect it to what we were talking about last week, this means that we will still, still deal with fallen desires, fallen desires that well up within us, that we do not ask for, that we do not want, but fallen desires that set themselves upon things which God has forbidden, whether it be a sexual object that God has completely ruled out and said that is wrong, like someone who is not my spouse or someone who is the same sex as I am, or any other thing that is against God's law. We must deal with fallen desires that tell us that we are to live into our desire. You take, for instance, those desires that say, you must escape the body which God gave to you. You must change the body which God gave to you. To run away from the moral and ethical constraints that are placed upon us by being created by God, male and female, in the image of God. It is these sins into which many Christians must drive a fresh nail daily. Even if these these desires are not requested, even if these desires are unwanted, these desires are still sinful because they are fixed upon something which God forbids. And if we think, think deeper about this issue of identity and take it into the realm of identity politics of our day and even the things that have happened even in the last couple of months, particular movements. We talked last week about uh, the Revoice Conference and other things that have been going on, conversations about how do you identify. And many people who deal with same-sex desires have been in on these conversations, asking the questions like, do you call yourself a gay Christian or a transgender Christian? Or what do you call yourself? But this means that the titles like gay Christian, LGBTQ Christian, transgender Christian, etc., 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 are all, if we think about union with Christ, all of them are degrading to our identity in Christ, as would be any title that places a sin next to the name of our Lord. 
All of these are affronts upon the exclusivity which Jesus claims upon us at the cross. At the, at the cross, what do we see? That Christ has made us ours and we are his and we are his alone. We are called to use our bodies to glorify God. And by that, we are called to use our sexuality to glorify God in one of the only two ways that are possible to glorify God by our sexuality, in absolute and unwavering fidelity to our spouse or in singleness. So we need to have a reminder, too, just as we, we did last week, that you know, we think about something, uh, these, these kinds of issues, and many people deal with these desires that they, they do not want, that they do not ask for. It's important for us to be reminded, though, that if, if homosexual desire binds us to sin, heterosexual desire often blinds us to sin. And we see that a lot of those desires, even as uh, those who do not deal with a lot of these issues in the LGBTQ arena, that we still have a lot of fallen desires in our own heart, in our own mind, that we, by the grace of God, need to weed out. You see, any lifestyle and any identity claim foisted upon us by the flawed thinking of the world impedes upon ground which Christ has already claimed for himself, for he has claimed us as his own. To put the name of any sin next to Christ is an affront of who he has made us to be and, what, and, and who we are as vitally united to Christ. Gay Christian, adulterous Christian, angry Christian, foolish Christian, lustful Christian, all of these misunderstand what Romans 6 says and what Galatians 2 says. It's not to disregard the fact that many of us deal with temptations with many or all of those sins. But it is to say that we are to live into the new nature of who we are, that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He is the one who grounds and who defines and who gives me my new identity. And that is exactly what Paul says, that the life we live now is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The phrase, by faith, scholars have uh, posited recently that this might not mean by faith in the Son of God. It might mean by the faithfulness of the Son of God. In other words, by the obedience of Jesus Christ. And those really are two sides of the same coin. Two, two sides of the same coin. We live by faith in the one who exercised faithfulness for us, who obeyed the law of God for us. The reason we walk by faith is that at any of our missteps, any, any of our falls back into our old ways of the flesh, where we live according to who we are in Adam naturally rather than who we are in Christ and by the Spirit, any time we live out our fallen desires and not our new identity in Christ, the faithfulness of Christ can cover us as long as we grasp hold of him by faith. This is the reality of union with Christ. It provides not only the grounding for our standing before God, but also the motivation to live that standing out, to be united to the one who loved me and who gave himself for me. Shouldn't we also then love him and give ourselves for him? This is a reality that needs to be enjoyed daily, You need to remind yourself of being united to Christ, of being found in him, 
of having your identity staked and grounded in him. You need to exercise this reality each and every day. Pray that by the grace of God, the Lord would give you a greater realization of what it means to be united to him. And Paul is constantly dealing with this in the New Testament. I'll give you just one example as we close. In Colossians 3, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So then he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away to understand union with our Lord and being united to him is to understand the new nature that you have been given by your life in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, and it is to understand the call placed upon us to, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, put to death that which is marked by our natural selves in Adam, our natural selves before life in Christ, before life in the Spirit, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And it is to understand the exclusive claim that our Lord has upon us, that he has made us his own by the price he paid on the cross. Therefore, we are to live truly as we belong to him and we are in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. Pray that we would hide it in our hearts and that uh, through your gospel, that we would know who we are in Christ and that we would seek to honor you always. In Christ's name, amen.